Hey there, welcome to episode 48 of the Let's Innovate for Vegas audio program. I'm your host, Managing Director of the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, Dan Hugo. Another solo episode today. Those have been uh, a lot. I don't know if you're interested in uh, solo or guest. We'll find out through the year. Trying to invite more local innovator and local innovation adjacent individuals and people in general to join in in the discussion. Today is January 19th. It is just after lunchtime on this happy Friday and a busy week last week from CES 2024. So on today, the 19th of January 2024, uh, still <laughs> getting back into the groove, which is pretty normal. CES can be pretty grueling. A lot of innovation, a lot of people, companies in this space converging on Vegas. Uh, today we're going to talk about why all of our projects are open source. Why open source? Some people wonder, I'm sure. Open source is kind of weird. I think people have different expectations, different uh, experiences. Most people have no idea that they use open source software or other. Mostly open source software is uh, what comes to mind, but open source can apply to a lot of different things. Uh, could be software, could be hardware, could be just about anything, in fact. Uh, could be tech or non-tech. You can release open source artwork, uh, especially if it's digital form. It's not quite as easy with, uh, with analog art, so to speak. But you can release things open source, as in you can use this to build something that you want to make. This will come, to come into play even more in the age of AI when... Uh, AI models are trained on words, video, artwork, audio, uh, so imagery, and so on. So uh, if you open source your artwork, you might be saying, hey, you can use my artwork in your AI model to create other works of art, and I would like to be attributed. I would like to receive credit for the fact that I am part of your robot's education. It's an interesting thing, and it will become more apparent more and more, I think. So we'll see. But why? Why are we doing open source? Why is why are all of the things that the uh, Innovate for Vegas Foundation is working on uh, and eventually going to deploy and release and put into service and so on? Why are these released in open source form, open source licensing, and so on? Uh, yeah, why? Why? Good questions. So let's first start off with the usual, the links. Hopefully, your wherever you found this audio program. Hopefully, the links section of the program description are visible. Our website, uh, the now that CES is over, our website will be receiving some long overdue modifications and updates, including our self-hosting of our content. The All of the links you have, all the, if you're a Spotify or other Amazon Music um, slash podcasts, those should remain. Uh, our, is it Spotify for podcasters, I think? Uh, formerly Anchor, anchor.fm. That will continue to be our sort of secondary publication starting point, end point, something, one of those. So our our programming will appear where it has, but we will also begin to self-host. And that includes full description pages that are easier, hopefully, uh, to read to or to consume. Perhaps you uh, listen to them. Uh, we'll try to make them as accessible as possible. If you're listening to audio programs, maybe you'd like to listen to words 
on a web page as well. The important part, though, is that we will have a little bit more control over the information as it is presented. I know Spotify in particular makes it very difficult to see any sort of formatted like bullet list description content. So that is something of a shortcoming of RSS feeds, but they've, they've not done a good job trying to make that better. Anyway, our first two links are, as usual, our Innovate for Vegas Foundation homepage. So that's where you'll start to see more useful content, so to speak. This, not everything in the world is content, but we'll put more words and more uh, links to more useful things. Our GitHub organization, github.com slash innovate for Vegas. So innovateforvegas.org and innovate for Vegas on GitHub. You can see what we're up to day to day, especially on GitHub. Uh, so on the topic of open source, I came across two videos at the same time. I don't know how you feel about YouTube links. I think they're, sometimes they're interesting and topical. Other times, maybe not if you're not into watching videos. The two YouTube videos I have linked to here uh, in this case are the Primogen and to Theo. If you are familiar with the, Theo.gg, I think. T, uh, T3 is his handle. He's kind of a character. Two fairly experienced if I may say young programmers, <laughs> I mean, they've been doing this for a long time, but you know, some people have been doing it a lot longer, but that said, they did each have a bit of a take on open source. So the primogen is a short, a YouTube short. So I've linked to that. He says why he contributes to open source projects. And that is his take is reasonable and it's brief. So easy to listen to Theo, the title is even uh, a bit of a clickbait title, but he does point out that he's serious. It's not clickbait. And he actually, and I was, of, of course, at first like, hmm, uh, it was basically, you should not contribute open source. But his reasoning was, was sound, and it presents a sort of, um, rather than don't do it, it presents like a little bit of pushback, I guess you could say, so that if you are thinking, oh, I am new to all of this, I will contribute to open source projects. Uh, his point is basically, mm, slow your roll, buddy. Maybe consider how you approach that and whether you, uh, how much you have to learn first or what, what you need to know before you start attempting to contribute. I think the take home in general is that open source and anything that's volunteer, and this applies to anything, not just projects like this. Anytime you are going to volunteer your time and effort and energy and creativity and so on to something that is ongoing by other volunteers, you have to be aware that whenever you ask a question or provide distraction, <laughs> and I'm trying to be kind here, but uh, the people need to take their time and give it to you and not to the project. So you have to be, and, and I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying it's something to be aware of. And so the point that Theo makes here is, is a good one. I think it's worth a watch if you are interested in open source. And he obviously is a software developer, so he's aiming more at software projects. But I think it applies to any time anyone is thinking about contributing to a project of any kind uh, where their time is free and the person on the other end of that transaction, uh, their time is also, well, uncompensated. I don't want to say free. Uh, 
you're doing it for reasons other than immediate financial reward or some sort of a salary. And I will point out here, but I mean, it's something to just be aware of. Sometimes employers or certain supportive organizations that provide funding or maybe a bounty type project, sometimes people working on open source projects are compensated. And that is something to be aware of, but it is not something to count on. So yeah, how you interact with the open source uh, quote-unquote community is is something to be just aware of, just something to think about. Uh, I have linked to a Wikipedia page that kind of runs down the general idea of open source. So we have uh, a starting point for that uh, term. There's also a Wikipedia page that compares gratis versus Libra. If you If you hang out in the open source world, you will often hear or see... And sometimes people will make a specific comment that something is free as in beer, or you could say free as in soda, if you like, uh, or free as in speech. So gratis is given freely, uh, without cost. Right? So if I provide open source software, I might say, here's the source code for it, and you can have it, and you can use it under the license terms, and you owe no money. There's no charge. You're always free to donate or or provide other sorts of support like that, or, or whether it's directly financial or indirectly through services or resources. But yeah, gratis is the equivalent of free as in beverage. <laughs> so you are giving something. Sometimes this would be called like freeware or similar, right? Maybe postcardware. A lot of variations of this, like, hey, just use this. I have created this thing. Uh, and often the gratis notion the thing that fuels that is I am using free software and I'm going to create some free software. So I will give in the, in the, uh, in the spirit in which I have got received. Right. So gratis versus Libra, which is free as in speech. And so what that says is I have provided oh, emergency vehicle. I don't know if you can hear that. The joy of being so near a street Libra or free as in speech means I have released my open source efforts for you to view. You can view the source code or you can view the, the components or you can see how it functions or you know, any number of things like this. But it is not necessarily free of uh, a financial encumbrance. You may be asked to pay some sort of a license fee or some, some sort of thing. And Strangely, all open source software is not just free for the taking. It's that's where the license terms come into play and so on. The take home though is that should a, a author, uh, whether it's a company or an individual, should they decide to not support a piece of software or, and I'm using software a lot here. It could be anything like this. Uh, if you if the if the software is essential but no longer supported, it doesn't merely fade into the uh, you know darkness. <laughs> so you have the right, you have the freedom to view the source code. And in the event that someone, entity, company, person, etc., is unable to, unwilling to, or for whatever reason, decides to not support the content of the, of the project moving forward, there is likely a way to continue that with other people who depend on it, taking, taking it up and, um, continuing support and that that's happened you you can find various projects where it's no longer supported by the original author someone else has taken over 
So the freedom to do that, and there, you know, the the terms may include compensating the new maintainers, plural or singular. So yeah, Libra, freedom of speech, the right to share software, the right to view the software uh, according to some licensed terms, and then there's gratis, which is the use of and viewing of uh, without financial encumbrance. That, that's generally speaking. That's uh, that's programmer speak. I am not a lawyer, nor will I pretend to be. I've included as well a YouTube video, uh, Simon Sinek, the infamous Start With Why TED Talk. Uh, why open source? Indeed. Why do this? Not what, not how, not who. Why? Why do this? So Simon has an interesting take. It's probably been overused. Uh, I like Simon Sinek. He's a fascinating individual. But there's been a lot of the same sort of loops you know, leaders eat last and, and other such things. But to start with why, it is, a, I think, a very good, uh, very early presentation on why to do things and why success comes from starting with why. Why? Because. Uh, Hacktoberfest. Uh, Hacktoberfest happens in the month of October. I believe it's the 12th year has just gone, gone by for 2023. It was started by DigitalOcean, and Theo makes a direct reference to Hacktoberfest and we, uh, Innovation for Vegas Foundation is two years old to, yeah, two years old, 2022, something like March, we had our first hackathon. We formed in June of 2022 as a nonprofit corporation in Nevada. So technically we're like 18 months old, but roughly two years. So the, um, the first year we were asked by a couple people, Hey, are we going to participate in Hacktoberfest? And we, we were kind of chaotically trying to organize things and get some documentation and specifications and how we're going to do things and so on. So that first year, we were kind of, you know, like, well, how about next year? And so 2023 came along, and uh, it was right around the same time as the NASA International Space Apps Challenge, which was the first weekend of October, October 9th, I think it was. So Hacktoberfest was during that month, and it seemed like an interesting way to sort of combine the general outreach to the local innovator community in Southern Nevada and to anyone else who would like to participate in our projects. But we got zero interest. And this is something that, uh, well, I mean, that's sort of the other side of the coin. Uh, the challenge of Hacktoberfest with, as Theo points out, it's an invitation for newcomers to the open source development world to jump in on projects, make contributions, and so on. Triaging th that is tricky. Uh, anyone who sets up Hacktoberfest project for a contribution by newcomers has to account for the time that it will take to sort of tr do the triage and so on. So it's not necessarily a great thing. It's a good thing. It's not horrible, but it's also like it's a... Um, it has unintended consequences, I think. So we did attempt to participate in Hacktoberfest. We got zero interest. I I think that's better. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but I, th I mean, I think that is a better outcome for our first go, our first attempt, because I don't think we were really ready. Uh, level of participation on our side would have been too low. And if we had had serious incoming uh, attempts at participation, I think it would have been a little bit overwhelming. But as well, if you have a lot of contribution, you have to be careful about which projects you offer for people to contribute to. 
uh, because it does take actual time. And if you are a volunteer, it is your time, my time. It is our volunteer time that goes toward uh, managing the influx of Hacktoberfest contributions. So it's something to think about. Uh, a ton of OSI-approved licenses and a, uh, the homepage for Creative Commons are the last two links I have on there. The terms and conditions uh, that spell out how open source projects and Creative Commons is sort of like uh, open source for creative works that are not traditionally you know, software and tech-related. Tech so you can release source code under like a GPL v3 as we do, and you could release the documentation for that project under a Creative Commons license. It could be all wrapped up in the GPL, but essentially you're saying, oh, well, here we're going to write our, uh, our user documentation for a project and release it under Creative Commons. And if people want to uh, republish that or put it in another document with like um, a summary of various tools, and here's the one by Innovate for Vegas that does this thing, and here's their documentation, all of these would be allowed according to the terms of these licenses. And so I've linked to those just so if you're curious how some of those works. I personally, for example, publish my, uh, I have a Flickr feed, Flickr as a old school photograph image and sometimes video sharing site. Could have been Instagram. I think they kind of blew it. Smug Mug purchased them from Yahoo, I think. If they had stayed independent, I think the world would be a very different place. But anyway, uh, Flickr allows you to assign a Creative Commons license to your photos so that if other people want to use your photo, it's stated very clearly. Uh, the terms are already there. You can say, oh, it's Creative Commons, uh, share alike, uh, 4.0 International, and that says, oh, I can, sh I can use your photo and I just have to say where it came from. Or you can allow people to modify it so maybe they want to use it for uh, some sort of stylizing. They should just give you credit. They can say, hey, this original photo is by Dan Hugo. So it's it's pretty good. If you are upfront and you say, hey, you can use this photo. Now, if you retain your own copyright and you say you can't use this without express permission, written permission from the original photographer, author, etc., that's another thing. So there you go. Those are our links. That was a long intro. We're already, yeah, hopefully this show doesn't go, go too long. So let's start with why. As I said, open source projects are about sharing and learning. Uh, you can elevate your local sort of developer community or your artist community or your food, your culinary community. If you have open source recipes, you know, other people can learn. Like, here's how that uh, interaction of flavors, the flavor profile, how does that work? So if you retain uh, secrecy, that's one way to go. But if you provide open source access to the origins of artworks, creative works, software, hardware, tech, non-tech, food, drink, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you end up elevating. Everybody learns. Everybody can share. And then uh, there will be no mystery. Uh, for example, if the uh, KFC 11 Herbs and Spices, I believe it is, if that was an open source recipe, there would be no wondering should KFC go out of business, people could create their own version of it. And having the source does not necessarily mean getting exactly the same outputs. So sometimes there is a certain bit of magic that goes in by, uh, by the people who created something. But it does allow people to have some visibility for food allergies or you know whatever, or whatever the case is. Having access to that information with transparency can be valuable. It's a different way of approaching business models, but 
they're not necessarily about giving work away for free, though. As I mentioned, the Libra version, you can say, hey, you can see all the source code for the KFC recipe, but you can't use it. And if you'd like to license it, like maybe you're a franchisee, then it's this much money. But you get to see the recipe. You just can't use it with reckless abandon in your own foodstuffs. So there, there's always, and you know, this is this is where lawyers really should be examining terms and how people are using things, and you know, doing things on the up and up, transparently on both sides. I think that ends up in the long term very beneficial to all. Um, you're also not signing your rights away when you c- contribute work. You, uh, the way I describe it is, you are licensing the work that you contribute to the project, but it's still in your head. It's still on your hard drive. It's still on your easel. It's still on your uh, stove, whatever, right? So you you can continue developing your project, whatever it is. That, that You don't sign away that. You are signing away the rights of the thing you contribute, so signing away, so to speak, right? So if you contribute some source code to a GPL-licensed project, GPLv3, for example, then that contribution is is part of a GPLv3 project. That is the Those are the terms, that your work is available under, but you, you, you can't erase your memories. You can't undo the skills and the, the experience you have from that. So the, the work in progress on the way, if you decide, Hmm, I'm going to contribute this version that works in this ecosystem, this infrastructure, this code base, this, uh, style of uh, menu or visualization, whatever it is. But the version that I have contributed is actually, a variation on the thing that I'm building for myself or for an idea I have. So they become sort of two different things. Uh, so I've seen this happen with open source projects that are released open source by, by a company. You can see where the, the original author has contributed some of their work to the project. And then the project is open source. That doesn't mean that all of their work that was not contributed is part of that release, if that makes sense. So I think as more people become aware of how all this works and as they contribute to open source projects or how, or see how contributions are available to use, it becomes a little bit easier to grok this. Uh, uh, and then from a community standpoint, volunteering your time, your skills, your pro action is laudable. And it's something that, that people can, if you take a long view of the ROI, it's something you do get something back for. Uh, it's just not immediately. It's not in a, in a paycheck you know, two weeks or less from now. So it's a long-term view. Uh, there are countless luminaries in the open source world who have been releasing their work for the world to see for a very long time. Uh, if you use an Android phone, you're using a variation of Linux kernel. Uh, there are various open source projects that have made their way into our day-to-day, you know, objects and devices around us, but there's also the cloud is powered by it and all that. And, you know, so people who do work on these projects are often, not always, unfortunately, but are often compensated in various ways, whether it's directly financially or it always looks good on the resume, as they say. Uh, Although Theo does touch on that as well. Um, If you are contributing to open source projects merely to add to your resume, and this is something that was happening with some code for America organizations, brigades. Uh, people only want to con- uh, contribute to a project because it will look good on their resume. They could put, you know, hack for LA or code for uh, Philly on their resume. 
and they will check off that box. That's mm, something to be aware of. Your motivations, uh, you will get more if you are doing, uh, doing your, if you're, if you're making the effort for sort of a little bit more fundamental reason than a checkbox on a CV or resume, the, the return will probably be better, larger, more, uh, more satisfying perhaps. But anyway, let's consider why not, why not? And this again is something that Theo was going into. So in general, right? So, uh, they are not open source projects are not necessarily, uh, schools, classrooms, boot camps, and they are not a place for you to learn how to begin. Sometimes they are. There are exceptions. But generally speaking, especially if the person or people working on maintaining, continuing develop, uh, to develop open source projects are volunteers themselves, they don't necessarily have the time to start off with, you know, hey, I've never done this before. Okay, well, uh, how much time do I need to spend as a teacher or mentor? Uh the people maintaining and contributing to open source projects are, are not necessarily teachers. They may be mentors, but they may not have the time to be proper mentors. So sometimes there, uh, no, no one on the planet has become more well-known for snarky uh, comments and code, snarky responses to bug reports, snarky uh, blog posts, Usenet news posts, and so on. Then Linus Torvalds, the, uh, the original and current maintainer of the official Linux kernel. He, if you think about it, I mean, yes, he kind of let loose a little bit and I won't go into, there, there are many years of stories, but uh, his job was not to be a teacher or to be kind. He was uh, be, as the fulcrum of a project on that scale. Lots and lots and lots of incoming. And so to to be asked to treat every single time sync as a as an educational moment as a teaching opportunity that's sort of wears thin because uh now eventually he would get paid for his time and that's very different but still it is a lot of time and is often unappreciated time because there is a presumption that the open source community is a is a big giant classroom and that's not mostly not the case there there are cases where it is true but that is a question to ask, not an assumption to make. And uh, these projects don't have to be software, as I've mentioned a couple times now. Uh, when we speak of open source, that is often the first thing people think of if they know about open source in general. It's like, oh, open source software, of course. There are, there are open source hardware projects. If you look at the RISC-V initiative and platform, you know, open source microprocessor, so the instruction set implementations are open source and so on. Um, not that you get free hardware. You don't get to say, Hey, that's open source. Give me a, give me a developer board. You can pay for one. <laughs> and that's the, that's sort of the, the thing about open source is it's not necessarily free. It's not necessarily, um, free from financial encumbrances of some sign at some kind. And you, if you look through the licensing terms, GPL included, GPL v3 included, you can charge for things. You can charge money, um, not the least of which is compensation for the transport media. If you say, hey, send me a CD with all of your source code on it, there it's built in. There's a right of um, compensation for that media and for the effort required to send it. Uh, I used to, when I first started with my Debian Linux experience, which continues to this day, so back in, I'm going to say 96, I was working at Netscape. I would order a CDs 
of the entire uh, uh, Debian stable release, for example, to put on my computer. And then I would get down, um, get updates while I was connected to the network at Netscape and I would go home and I would put them on my home built dual Pentium pro machine. So I had to pay for the media, even though the software was free. Uh, I still had to pay because I'm not entitled to free labor, free materials, free shipping and so on. So there are some subtleties that are, are often presumed about these types of compensation. Uh, it's it's why you want to read the read the documents. TLDR can lead to confusion, right? So um, there are many sorts of open source projects out there, and not all of them should be considered open contribution because sometimes they have a, a particular mission, they have a particular user base, and they're not really suitable for general contribution from people who aren't sure how things work, don't know the context, and that's one of the Hacktoberfest issues is that merely picking a project because it looks cool or interesting doesn't necessarily yield great experiences for either side. And that brings us to our next section, becoming an expert, become an expert of sorts. Uh, start with something you use, something you depend on, something you uh, need, especially if there's a feature that's needed or if you found a uh, bug, maybe something as simple as the documentation is out of sync. Maybe the screenshots are not current. Maybe the, um, Maybe there are new features that have evolved and been released, but the documentation is behind. You can start with that. Making contributions to documentation, to maybe installation instructions. Maybe there's uh, some how-tos. There was recently some software released where a, a library dependency had changed, and it was unclear. It was a video uh, video editing tool, open source, of course. And the documentation wasn't clear on how to uh, change a configuration to accommodate this new library dependency. So what do you do? Well, someone could have said, oh, I'm going to make a contribution to the project in the documentation section, uh, how to do this with now with this change. Instead, it was a Reddit thread. Uh, you hope for the best in that case. But if you want to contribute to a project where you need the tool and you find a solution, improving the documentation for the project itself rather than posting in some social media, even Reddit, that is not necessarily as valuable. And you can make contributions to open source projects, software, hardware, tech, not tech, whatever, by proactively uh, updating or contributing to the documentation or the parts that make the use of the tools or the product or the service or whatever it is easier or better or correct. So becoming an expert, it starts with using the thing, whatever it is, becoming aware of what works and what doesn't, and then how you could tackle some of the things that don't work. And again, it starts with something as simple as, as documentation, or maybe there's a bug. Maybe there's a literal like, Hey, it doesn't work when this is the input, the output is wrong. You don't have to touch any code. You can provide this useful feedback. And hopefully if other people find the same problem, it becomes a, uh, Oh, Hey, this is a real problem. Uh, not to say your one submission is not a real problem, but it raises the point to visibility. And if others do something similar and they realize, oh, this is not a, a one-off, this is a real, like reproducible is the, is the word we use. It happens in other cases on other computers and other scenarios. So yeah, th there's real value there if people take the time to do that rather than posting on Twitter or Discord servers or 
uh, or Reddit or wherever. You can certainly do that, and that's where you can discover how to get around, how to work around a problem. Or, you know, and again, if we were to use a recipe, recipe analog, you know, hey, I put in, uh, I put some baking soda in with this vinegar, and all kinds of hell breaks loose. And somebody might say, oh, that recipe has a bug in it. You need to use, um, I don't know, sugar. <laughs> that makes no sense. But the point is there could be a typo or an error and people following directions. If you post it on social media, like, hey, then all kind of a volcano erupted of all my uh, whatever foodstuffs, that doesn't feed back into. So somebody has to stumble upon this comment thread. If you inject an issue into the project itself. And if you're, if they're on GitHub or GitLab or other, um, uh, BitKeeper, no bit, what is it? Bit, uh, Bitbucket, Bitbucket, I think it is. Uh, Atlassian's take on Git wrapper. If they're using these tools that have an issue reporting scheme attached to them, then it's really, you know, it's, it's the tools are there. Just make use of them. Say, Hey, this is what I saw. This is what I tried. This is what happened. This is what I expected done and it can be fixed and then people will see that it's fixed so that the loop is there and if you become an expert in how your tools work or don't uh, then uh, you can be a, a more productive contributor and maybe at some point you'll join the project you'll actually commit changes you'll be on the receiving end of these submissions and then you will know so uh, and as it turns out that was my third bullet item for becoming an expert it was all the things i just said so i'm getting ahead of myself so our projects, our projects with the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, uh, we are not only working on software projects, but we have only software projects in our project overview section on GitHub today. We actually have a hardware project, Hardware Plus Software, which is the CERT radio. As I speak today on the 19th, the first prototyping hardware item should arrive next week so we can get started on the... Uh, the communications hardware, the radio component. There is some software to develop. There is some user interface on the device. There is some interfacing to other devices. There's a whole website or an application side for provisioning and management. and all. So there's a lot of different pieces. But all of our projects, even though they are software, all of them really could benefit from user interface design. They could benefit, benefit from... Uh, asset development, which is graphics, icons, imagery, diagrams. Anytime we need to explain or document things, how things work, how things are supposed to work, there, there are elements of all projects that are not software. They're not only hardware or only software. They're not only the thing that they seem to be. There are always other pieces that benefit from contributions from people who are interested and become something of expert. Uh, some have developed some expertise about that around the thing, either the, the component of the project itself or the thing that the project is trying to address. So you can look at it as uh, Hey, I don't know anything about software development, but when I use the thing you're building, it doesn't do this thing that I need it to do as a user of the thing or as a consumer of the, of the, the angst, <laughs> that arises when I'm trying to do the thing it's trying to solve. So end of the day, and I'll use the open transit uh, platform, for example, you don't need to know anything about coding to contribute to our open transit project once it's up and running and deployed and whatnot. If you are using the transit system to which it is applied, so RTC SNB, for example, you may say, hey, this happened when I was at this 
location. It didn't show the correct information. Providing that feedback is critical because if it's doing the wrong thing, it's not helpful. And in fact, it may be misdirecting people. Providing the wrong information is not necessarily misinformation. It could be disinformation unintentionally. We use GPLv3 licensing for our software and technical projects and the Creative Commons commercial attribution share alike version 4.0 international for other creative works by default. So these are the, without any other discussion or contemplation, those are our starting points. Uh, the thinking is that if you are a volunteer and you contribute to a project and then you move on to some other things, maybe you, you contribute for a couple of weeks, a couple of different commits, a couple of parts, or maybe you do some QA or you do some uh, asset development or you know any of the other pieces and parts, and then you move on to something else, y your work will not be suddenly and surprisingly released for commercial use and you know, fame and fortune resulting for some few, and you are left thinking, oh, I thought I was contributing to some open source project. So if we were to go with like an M MIT or Apache license or, or any of the licenses that allow for commercial distribution, that becomes sort of a, hey, I didn't know I was doing that. Uh, since we are 100% volunteer nonprofit, it's sort of, it's a little bit easier to attack that by just making a GPLv3 as a, as a default license. There are circumstances, for example, uh, my favorite here, anyone who backed the, I think it was Kickstarter, uh, Oculus project, thought they were supporting a small hardware developer making uh, some VR virtual reality uh, display products to mount on your head. And then Facebook bought them. Now, if you were a backer, uh, now, obviously, there's you're not an investor, so that's not, uh, it's not implied that you would receive such benefits. But at the time when Facebook bought them, very clearly the look is, oh, we were supporting a small venture to, you know, to, to as early adopters of what they were trying to accomplish. And because, see, if there was no Kickstarter contributions, they may not have attained the visibility and stature in the VR community, quote unquote community, uh, to be noticed by Facebook. So there is a sort of a, okay, I got my Oculus glass, uh, headset glasses, whatever they're. I think it's headset, but they, they made out like bandits. <laughs> they got bought out for the big dollars. So it's legally disconnected. It's not, that's not an issue, but it's certainly one of those things like, uh, I didn't know I was supporting that. I was supporting the small company, uh, doing something innovative. So the idea is to not surprise people by building a product or a service on their work, uh, without them. A, being involved in some way, so attribution, obviously, but also to not go off and build something that they're not allowed to see or, you know, so, so maintaining some visibility and, um, and obviously attribution are the motivation. So that's where that begins, obviously, like everything else in our organization, uh, open to discussion and specifically different components, different projects, different uh, aspects of what we're working on are always subject to discussion. Uh, we have a value for value model for contribution to projects. Uh, ideally, if something is released and deployed or put into service uh, and people like it, they value it. Uh, the people in the communities, the uh, the people at large, whether they're in Southern Nevada, Greater Vegas area or anywhere, 
And if they would like to support the developers, if they would like to support our organization, if they would like to support what goes into the deployment, you know, so maybe they'd like to sponsor some, some, uh, hardware that we run the software on. Maybe they'd like to sponsor the purchase of prototype hardware. Maybe they'd like to sponsor some marketing effort, whatever it is. They are, they are welcome to uh, reward, if you will, the value provided by our volunteers with some value of their own. So we don't want people to work for free necessarily. And that's the long tail view. The, you know, you won't get something directly in a paycheck in two weeks, but ideally you will get something. Uh, in some way, whether it's directly financial or otherwise. But we don't want people to work for free, but we do want people who are willing to work for free to contribute to our projects. If you're willing to work for free and you get something for it later, that doesn't seem too bad. Uh, willing to work for free is how civic volunteerism, quote unquote, works. Uh, it's right there in the name, volunteer. But you will ideally get something from it, whether it's financial or otherwise. There will be a personal return on investment if, uh, if everything goes to plan. So for 2024, I would ask that you ponder contributing to existing projects, whether it's Innovate for Vegas Foundation or any projects that you actually use or creating new projects. And again, it could be with our organization or you can create your own. Uh, this is a, uh, if nobody's doing it, let me do it society we are in now. So if there's something that needs some effort, you start it, do it, drive it and get other people with similar, uh, concerns or issues or, or problems to solve. And you might all find like, Hey, we can, we can actually get together and come up with a way to fix this and then fix it. And if you have any entrepreneurial bent, that is sort of par for the course, right? And have some level of skill, whether if you are a non-technical person and the thing that you want to do is technical in nature, then you kind of need to get some technical people to be involved. But if you have a vision and you have a path to a solution that you'd like to accomplish, your contribution is no less valuable. And so that's something we try to sort of underscore that was part of our name change. Uh, Code for Vegas became Innovate for Vegas because too many people were asking, since they are not coders, are they not welcome to participate? And that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, hopefully you will respect the time and effort of others. They are volunteers just as you are most of the time. Uh, and again, you will encounter some cases where a employer is compensating individuals for working on open source software. Uh, when I worked at Intel, there were a non-trivial number of software development or you know, engineering resources that were committed to open source projects. So they're being paid part of their salary is the time spent on open source software. Uh, Intel, companies in general, I believe, are pretty strict on not only attribution, but attesting to the intellectual property development. So if you copied and pasted from Stack Exchange or Stack Overflow, or if you had ChatGPT write some of your code for you, it gets a little sticky. So you attest, and I did this too, uh, you attest to your uh, being the creator of the creative work. The intellectual property is by nature sort of paid for by Intel. So they own it and it is being released under some open source license. 
And you can't do that if I, oh, I copied and pasted that from a, a post from so-and-so on the, that's not how that works. So, so respect the time and effort of others, understand that some people are compensated, but also respect their intellectual property rights and all the copyrights and licensing. And, um, the best way to go is to create your own work and submit it to projects, your own or others, and, uh, tell others about your work, the work you do for your fellow volunteers, the work that they do. Help our residents and visitors to the greater Vegas area understand the value of civic volunteerism and our open source projects or yours. So awareness is, uh, discovery is part of our set of weaknesses that need a lot of work and attention here in greater Vegas. Uh, being aware of things, the things, the efforts that people are making, the tools and, and methods that they are developing, the platforms and, and uh, resources that they make available, deployed, put into service. Uh, knowing that they exist is a useful start with so many people coming to Vegas, 40 million or so, if uh, the LVCVA is to be believed, there's a plenty of opportunity to show the world what people are working on. If you volunteer your time today and a bunch of people from various parts of the world realize the benefit of your efforts, and if your name is attached to them, if you are opting in to say, hey, Look me up if you want to hire me. Uh, part of our value proposition is individuals and teams of developers or contributors to projects or participants. They can contribute in a lot of different ways. So don't view it as just the coding, right? Innovating. But the entire process is, is a fertile ground for engagement with potential employers, potential projects from other places and so on. So knowing is half the battle and the other half. And if the more people who do, the more will come of these efforts. A note on GitHub and tools in general. And don't worry, we're coming to the end. So a lot of people don't like GitHub because it seems scary. And by a lot of people, I mean people who are not in the, specifically in the software development world. Git is a tool developed by Linus Torvalds to manage distributed source code uh, revision control. It allowed for disconnected teams to work and commit changes and then push those to uh, the next level up in a hierarchy so you could, uh, you could work locally and then push your changes later uh, as opposed to subversion and CVS concurrent versioning system, RCS revision control system, VSS, visual source safe, et cetera, et cetera. So all these were like a single source of truth model and Git is more of a tiered source of truth, I guess you could say. So it seems scary with all that, but if you just view GitHub, for example, as a normal website that's showing you documents that people can change, just like WordPress or many others, right? So for the most part, a visitor to a GitHub project page could just as well be visiting a WordPress website about a project. Uh, and when we use it to try to keep track of contributions to our projects, uh, so we can share that with others, then it becomes not much more complicated than that. You sign up for a GitHub account, for example. Uh, we may also use GitLab, but GitHub is reasonable. We actually, as a nonprofit public charity, uh, have a as a 501c3 specifically, we have a free tier of uh, non-trivial amounts of services on the GitHub platform. So it's useful and it fits within our budget. So that's very nice. 
merely signing up for an account and having a name and a, some contact information, and that can even be anonymized. But including that so that we may use the GitHub platform for our managing our projects, contrib- uh, contributions, contributors, and uh, how we release things and so on. We make use of that for documentation, translations, and other components of a project that people can contribute to. And if your name is attached, we can properly attribute the creative work and contribution to you and others. So we're using GitHub at the very least as a baseline to accomplish that. So not spreadsheets, not emails with a list of names and so on. There are tools. There's literally a contributors file that can be a part of a project. There's also DOAP, a definition of a project, is a standard XML structure. So there are a variety of ways to express the contributors to a project, and we want to make sure we do that. Uh, we try very hard to use open formats. So rather than using a proprietary, probably the one everybody would know is the Word dot doc format, document format. So if you received a dot, uh, you know, file dot doc, it was a Word file for Microsoft Word, and you would probably need Microsoft Word to open it. You could use OpenOffice or LibreOffice or various other uh, Google Documents opens them now. But in the old days, you were kind of stuck with needing Word. So PDF came along, the portable document format, and that's a little bit easier to deal with. It's sort of uh, encapsulated PostScript-ish, but it was available for parsing. You could have a viewer of a document. Authoring was a little bit trickier. Nowadays, there are so many open formats to use Uh, it doesn't really make sense to work on an open source project that requires purchasing specific software to use closed format files or content. Probably the most visible example lately is Figma. Figma's fine. Adobe is not buying them now, so, you know, whatever happens there. But Figma is a tool that is not necessarily open to all. Um... That can become tricky if there's a Figma document that requires paying for some tools or whatnot. If you look at open source tools like PenPot, which is a Figma-like tool that uses, it's open source, you can deploy it. It's a web application. You can deploy it on your own website or for yourself, for your team. You can use their resources. And they work with SVG files, scalable vector graphics, which are open. So if you have an SVG file from PenPot, You can use it, you can edit it, you can author it, you can extend it without worrying that Figma is still in business, that they got acquired by Adobe, that their their files have become proprietary format, et cetera, et cetera. So so that's something we consider uh, source files for software or text. We can use uh, open source CAD software for anything from circuit board layout to mechanical design. All of these things are possible using open source tools and open source file formats. So we really encourage that. And uh, that will enable you to not only work on the projects with the lower cost tools, it's, it's a lot easier to get started when you don't have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on a development platform. And then if you, uh, if you want to participate in a project, same, right? You can join in on a project. It's a lot easier to make a contribution if you can grab PenPot or use PenPot online to make a change to a user interface design, for example. So by being very open, you enable people to participate. And if they want to take the project project and extend it under 
the GPLv3 license, for example, they can use existing tools that they have access to and files that are open formatted to start and do that. So there's no, there's no wondering if this particular binary undocumented file format requires a certain piece of software. I know this was true with like .ai files. The, in the old days, that meant Adobe Illustrator. <laughs> Nowadays, it means uh, all manner of things. So yeah, open, open files, open source tools, open formats, open everything. Much easier for what we're trying to accomplish. And because we're civic volunteers, we are not trying to build things that won't work into the future. So if everything's done in the open and visible and both gratis and libre, then uh, even if our organization disappears forever, if we build things that are actually useful, people can continue to develop them or build things upon them, extend them, learn from them. So that's that's the ultimate goal. That's why we're doing this. So the more open, the better in the context of what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, finally, some things are not documents and are not things that you would put in a document in uh, a, a Git repository. If you can imagine a digital form of something, it's probably usable in GitHub. A recipe can go into GitHub. The actual food clearly cannot. You can put the, the CAD drawing for a sculpture into a, a file, store it in GitHub, and attach all the artist's attributions to it, the one or more people who made that happen. But physical objects or possibly virtual objects don't necessarily fit into that. So eventually we'll work out uh, the rest of that story, which is how to properly attribute effort, creative work, contribution to things that don't necessarily fit into GitHub. So a reference to a thing, whether it's an image or a drawing, but the actual physical thing, and this comes up with open source hardware, like the schematics might be open source, but what about the implementation of the chips or the parts? So yeah, these are not going to be answered in this audio program episode, but they are things to discuss. They are things not only discussed today, but for years about how best to keep track of these things so that people can continue to participate in the open source world and have access to these pieces of projects in whatever form they take. So that is the deal. All of our open source efforts are all about the long view, making our, by the way, I don't know if you've heard this lately, our actual purpose statement. It's in our um, articles of uh, incorporation as a Nevada Nonprofit Corporation. It's in our 501c3 filing somewhere on our 1023EZ. I think I think we had to provide that. Either we provided it or we linked or provided a document for the state. But uh, our purpose is to enable and encourage ideation, innovation, and implementation to make our communities better. It's very simple. It doesn't say anything about writing code or uh, translating from one language to another or making food recipes. It doesn't say anything specific because innovation, ideation, innovation, and implementation can take many forms. And by pursuing all of this with open source methodologies and ethos, ideally we are enabling and encouraging today and into the future and hopefully making our communities better, whatever the use of the term communities actually means. And that might vary over time. So our purpose statement is hopefully elastic enough, 
you know, like an elastic clause perhaps, is elastic enough to be effective but not constraining. And that's it. That's why we are doing the things we are doing the way we are doing them. Part one of a million. Thanks for listening as always. Do share, like, subscribe, whatever you want to do with this audio program. I myself as your host do maintain a buymeacoffee.com slash Dan Hugo profile page. No, you do not need to buy me a coffee, although any monies contributed there are not contributed to our 501c3 nonprofit. They're actually going to me individually, and they go towards actual coffee, literally. Uh, the last person that gave me money, I bought coffee beans. I bought uh, a kilogram of coffee beans, a vaza, in fact. But I do maintain uh, links to the various projects, including this audio program and Quagling Sand, uh, FFS Stock, and Cafe Genius Impresarios, and this one. So check it out if you want. I don't put it in the link, uh, the, the show notes links because that is a personal reference to me if you are curious or interested. Uh, but do consider also supporting our public charity. Donations to the Innovate for Vegas Foundation 501c3 are tax deductible. You can visit our website, innovateforvegas.org, for more information about donations. And be aware, as I'm speaking today, our official name change with the IRS is pending, uh, probably in, this, in January, hopefully. Uh, so later this month, ideally, uh, our affirmation letter will be received. We are actually renamed uh, with the Secretary of State. So donations would officially go to the Code for Vegas Foundation. But do know that we are the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, not only in the state of Nevada, in reality, and very, very soon with the, the Sauron of the United States, the Eternal Revenue Service. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.